0: very short version of who we are as public, right, is we're an investing app focused on helping sort of, you know, retail investors uh, initially in the U.S. and now globally be better investors. I think we always look at like, hey, where is there something that we want to be able to do that we can't in the form factor that we want? So, I mean, I think my decision to join the military was similar to a lot of other, a lot of other folks, right? I think it came out of a sense of duty. Instead of having to go and scroll through the app, go to the Apple page and look through the news and so on, we've now used the, GPT-4 to build Alpha, which is a chat-based interface for finding that same information.
1: Welcome to this edition of the RAS Report. This is what I call the FinTech Power Hour. We have a FinTech powerhouse on today, and that's what we're doing. So we got this public Public, 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 the brokerage, Stephen Sykes. He's the CEO of the brokerage part of the business. What up, Stephen? How's it going? i glad, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So do you go by Steven, Steve, Steve, what is it, always Steven? Just you tell me.
0: Yeah, it's, it's professionally, it's been Stephen uh, ever since I got out of the army, but I grew up sort of an athlete and then in the army, so I was always Sykes. And so, uh, you know, it's like I have two halves of my life. The first half of my life, everyone knew me as Sykes and the professional half of my life, I'm now Stephen and you're a ph not a v indeed
1: yeah see i mean why do they why do they uh, steve Steven steve yeah see i don't know because jason some people spell it with j-a-y-s-o-n you know i don't know there's the no whole name nomenclature of names is very interesting so how long have you been at public for
0: uh coming up on three years um so you know not 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 quite the the day of the day of founding but we were still a pretty young company about a year a little less than a year in market uh as I joined about three years ago. So it's, you know, we've been in market about four years. So still from the early days, mid, mid-COVID, mid but pre-game stop, we like to say.
1: Did you come in the role that you're now or did that change over time?
0: Yeah. So I joined I joined in the same role. So I joined um, as the COO of sort of the overall enterprise and then as the CEO of the broker-dealer, which, you know, technically I took over the, the role of CEO of the broker-dealer following a, you know, sort of Formal um, changeover on the broker dealer and all the regulatory filings and stuff, but but that was sort of the plan from the day I started. And the changeover
1: from the broker dealer was from T three to your guys' own broker dealer.
0: Uh, no, it was, it's been our broker dealer the whole time. But but Sean Hendelman, who who leads T three, was uh, was the CEO before I was. Got it. Okay, very nice. Um, okay, so now
1: public. Well, there's so much I can get into. We know the two other guys operate it you guys have i've seen be the most innovative with things experiences trying to create engagement for the audience um we're going to go into some of those experiences in a minute but how often do your users open the app like how do they how do they come to open the app is it through emails like how how is the engagement there
0: yeah so i think first off maybe for the audience's benefit i hope everyone knows who we are but but the the very short version of who we are is public right is an investing app focused on helping sort of, you know, retail investors uh, initially in the U S and now globally be better investors. And I think there are like two big prongs of that strategy. There's a lot of stuff we can do to help you be better investors, but the, the two prongs are, are one um, really giving people the broadest access to, to assets um, that they can invest in. Right. So it's everything from stocks and ETFs to, you know, sort of treasury bills on the other end of the spectrum. Um, I think you know those. Have, that sort of strategy has really helped us uh, in the last year and a half, as sort of the markets have become a little more, a little more volatile. The second part is just making sure they have access to the best possible content and information and data, research, analysis, and all that great stuff. Which obviously we work pretty closely with Benzinga on, um, and making sure that people can stay up to date on what's going on in the markets and have everything they need to make the best decisions they can for themselves. Um, and so going back to your question, right? Like, how often do people come back? I think. People come back for two reasons. One, they come back, uh, you know, to invest, right, and to to make an investment, to make a trade, to buy some some T bills, uh, et cetera, to manage their portfolio. Or they come back to keep up with what's going on in the markets. Both, hey, the markets overall, the macro picture, also, you know, what's going on in their watch list, and then what's going on exactly in their portfolio. And so I think because we have that sort of two prong focus, and because we have spent so much time and effort on you know delivering really great content in, in the app um we see a lot a lot of engagement and i think you know through what's been a you know an interesting cycle over the last like i said 18 months two years we have maintained really high sort of active user counts because i think we've focused so much on on the information and content side of of the investing experience
1: yeah and, and i kind of feel like you created the app to create the app for yourself for what you would want to see or what people would want to see um you know, like that, like, I feel like it's one of those experiences that, Hey, why doesn't this brokerage have this? And you guys keep going,
0: you know, keep going down that uh, path. Is that accurate? Totally. And I think when we look at like, as users, right, we're all like, you know, we're all frequent users of public, but we also use all of our competitors apps, it sort of comes with the territory, right? I think we always look at like, hey, where is there something that we want to be able to do that we can't in the form factor that we want, right? Like, I think we sort of, differentiate versus some of the old discount brokers and legacy brokers by being app and mobile first. Right. Um, and I think we all recognize in, in 2023, like if you're, if you're not here, if you're not pointing to the phone, you know, I'm I'm pointing to my phone and holding it up for those of you listening only great, great podcast content there. Um, if you're not on the phone and you're not on mobile, right, you're not relevant, right. And you're, you're going to sort of constrain the places where people can interact with you. Um, and so we want to make sure that we have the full suite of capabilities for investing that we can. And so like, you know, when I go on my Schwab account or Fidelity account or so on, there are incredible, incredible companies, incredible platforms that give, you know, an incredible breadth of of investment options. Um, But if you go into their mobile apps, you can only do a little fraction of what that is, and it's usually pretty clunky and kind of hard to figure out what's what. So we work really hard on on taking sort of the full spectrum of investable assets um, and, you know, in the process of bringing them down into a consumable form, um, you know, a consumable mobile first form.
1: And I want to go back to the app, but before I do, again, we're with Steven Sykes. We're on the Razorport FinTech Power Hour. He's the CEO and CEO of the brokerage part of Public.com. But prior to that, you have an interesting background. You joined the army what made you join the army? Is it something passed down through generations or in, and how long were you in the army for? So we're gonna do a little more back a little more personal profile, then we'll get back to public and the FinTech stuff that we have going on. And we'll talk about our FinTech f- deal day in New York, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think my decision to join the military was similar to a lot of other, a lot of other folks, right? I think it came out of a sense of duty. And, um, you know, I did have a family history on my, both of my grandfathers had served, uh, one great one grandfather during world war ii and the other during korea and so i i'd sort of grown up with that um you know just just by virtue of, of them setting the example and i'd always sort of known that was a thing i wanted to do and then um when i went to college i had the opportunity to get an rotc scholarship and said okay Where, like, where'd you go to college i went to georgetown so okay hoya, hoya for all the for all the, the the hoyas listening out there but um yeah so I was a i got an opportunity to get a scholarship to join the the ROTC program, and they were going to pay for school. And I knew sort of as I looked at myself and sort of um, knew what I needed and wanted out of out of my career, you know, I, I realized there was both an opportunity for professional development in terms of building my own sort of, you know, discipline and leadership challenge, and then second leadership skills. And then the second is I recognize an opportunity to sort of give back. And I think like, you know, that was the unique way that I thought I could, I was best suited to sort of, um, you know, give back to, to the country that, that, uh, gave me such great opportunities.
1: Awesome. Are there things you use from the army today, you know, that you learned from the army.
0: Every day, every day. I think the, the thing that comes up most frequently, uh, interestingly, um, is just, a like, you know, weird to say, but a, uh, calm calmness under fire. Right. I think, um, you know, we deal in sort of the financial markets, and there's always some something crazy going on, some crisis. And um, you know, I think in many other contexts, and, and other folks that I've been around tend to get a little a little more turned up, and things that you know go bad or go wrong. And and I think when you when you've been in, in the service. served in combat i think you look at sort of things that can happen in the civilian life and you're sort of like okay well it's all going to be okay right nobody's nobody's shooting at us today so you know the market could rally the market could take it's all going to be all right like
1: that's awesome but i i want to go a little more deeper on that in the army it's very ritualized right wake up you know breakfast this time make bed this time 5 a.m 6 a.m has that carried through to you and like how you structure your days be it an on day of work or an off day on the weekend
0: um no i don't think it has to be honest right i think i wake up early uh i think that's me more than what time me. do you get so, up at so i'm up between five thirty and 6 um so you know not the earliest riser in sort of the capital markets world but but early early no enough, no I'm, that's early i'm the first you know i try to be the first guy in the office in the office here and uh you know, I think, um, so that's sort of stuck with me, but I'm not a particularly um ritualized, uh, structured calendar person because I think in my day to day job, um, my role is actually to be a bit of added capacity to solve problems as they come up, right? Uh, I, as much as possible, want to make sure my team sort of has the day to day covered and has the sort of near term and mid term projects all covered, everything that we need to get done. I want to make sure that they're there doing that, and my job becomes you know, to plug holes and to help make them better on a daily basis. So actually, I actually, I try to actually preserve a lot of flexibility in how I spend my time because, you know, my job has the privilege of being able to sort of float into things that are the highest leverage on a given day.
1: Right. Absolutely. And that, and that's important. Um, anything else from like your growing up days, Georgetown, growing up elementary school that like carry through you for what you do now and the role that you're in?
0: Yeah, I think I was really lucky um, as a teenager. I remember uh, my mom and dad sitting down with me uh, in front of the computer to actually invest in my first mutual funds, right? So we were USA members by virtue of my, my grandfather, and we went into the clunky mutual fund experience. And I, I still remembered I was probably 14 or 15 and buying my first uh, mutual funds uh, into, into that account there, um, like the custodial account that my parents had set up. And from that day, I remember like going through the Morningstar reports and really trying to look at the full variety of options that, that USA offered. And I was like, okay, these are the ones we're gonna pick um and I, at that moment i caught the bug right and i was really fortunate that my parents gave me that exposure i think when i turned 18 literally when i turned 18 i got my first individual brokerage account um at, at actually at the time it was trade king which is now ally invest uh through, through an acquisition um and i you know and i started sort of my individual self-directed investing life then um and you know i think that's carried through to the work i do today and it's been sort of a know even when i was in the service i was always an active self-directed investor and always kept up with the markets and i sort of knew forever that this was the this was the thing i wanted to do so again i was lucky that my parents uh gave me that exposure as early as they did um and uh you know and i think that's that's something that that um we try to build a little bit of public right i think as we deal with a lot of you know our, our population our membership skews you know not the youngest but definitely on the younger end uh we do take pride in being able to you know help people get up that learning curve
1: yeah, and, and it, it's a great question. I should ask, I should ask that to the fintech power hour guests. What was their first exposure to the markets? You, you're probably too younger to remember this, but my brother and dad would watch the cat um, uh, like a public access, Paul something, They'd go over the stock market on a blue screen with the tickers on the bottom, I'd be so bored of it during dinner. And um, that was my first exposure of the stock market. It was, um, you know, we all have our different uh, exposures. So then going to, you know, um, the industry, I feel like some people jump into this industry and don't know what they're doing in the sense of like the SEC, they they should know what they're doing, but they make PFOF payment for order flow a big railing cry when in actuality. There's so many other things I can think of that could come, you know, higher than that in prioritization. What do you think about this PFOF? And if you yeah, wanna explain think, it to the audience.
0: Yeah, so payment for order flow, uh, PFOF, PFOF, that it's, it's basically the function of when a broker sends, you know, the broker, you, you put your order in to buy a stock. Now the broker's gotta figure out how to help you buy that stock, right? They've gotta either send it to an exchange, send it to an ATS, which is sort of like an exchange type thing, or send it directly to a market maker who will fill that trade, right? And the way that the sort of ecosystem has evolved is sort of those market makers, wholesalers, um as they're called tend to pay the broker for that order flow and it goes sort of on a commitment to how much they'll send to the to the um to to an individual wholesaler because the wholesalers for a variety of reasons like to like to execute those trades Um, and so it's a bit it's a bit controversial because i think what we've seen happen and and uh, i think there's a fair amount of academic evidence for is when a broker sends that order to a wholesaler and then the broker gets paid for the trade Um, the customer usually doesn't get the best price on average when they go that route, right. Versus trying to find the best execution at either sort of the exchange or the ATS route. Um, Now there's, it's actually kind of a, a muddy, a muddy situation where there's quite a lot of uh, noise in the data and it's hard to figure out on any individual order for any individual broker, what's going on. Um, But in general, I think the, the, you know, logic would state if there's a wholesaler that's willing to pay the broker for the order you know just as easily you know they're doing that for some economic reason uh and and that economic reason is so they can make money and if they're making money that's got to come from somewhere and usually that means there's some value in the order that the customer could be getting in the form of a better price if they went in alternate means and again we've seen some data to, to say that to say that in the past and you know i think the sec is actually doing quite a good job at least in you know some of their, their proposed rules at helping make that more transparent through, you know, better sort of execution quality, um, disclosure requirements. So every broker is going to have to report sort of what the sort of their statistics in terms of what pricing and what, what price quality they get for their, for their, uh, orders. Now, I think saying out loud, hey, there are issues with our equity market structure and the way retail orders get executed. Absolutely true. We can always make that better. I still think we have the best capital markets, the best equity capital markets for retail investors in the world. But we can always make those better, right? Those are those are not those are not uh, incompatible statements. To your point, Jason, I do think there are plenty of other things uh, where you know retail investors, um, you know, where their the negative issue or their bad issue or sorry, there are issues in our in our sort of capital markets that probably impact retail investors more than than payment forward flow. I think that's probably that's self-evidently true when we look at things like. Um, you know, options, trading options, market structure, you know, the mutual fund 401k 403b businesses out there, like those, those tend to have, I think, probably a larger negative dollar impact on retail investors than, than the pure equity market structure, which, like I said, absolutely the best in the world.
1: Yeah, I just like. You know, people didn't understand how mutual funds work and, and fees, and you, when a mutual fund uh, manager director sells, you're, you're taxed, and they didn't understand that versus ETFs, but I don't see the SEC investing, like, putting limits to make people understand that, and that affects your financials way more than, I think, payment for order flow does.
0: I, I think that's absolutely true. I think that sort of potential loss on the order, you know, is on the order of uh, a penny a share is sort of the max you know, sort of the max version I've ever seen anyone sort of claim that there could be as much as a penny of share in, in sort of trading, trading loss from going with payment, a payment forward, a flow route versus another. And in the grand scheme of things, relative to tax consequences, like you said, relative to like high ongoing management fees, fixed expenses that you find in some, you know, some of these sort of, uh, employer sponsored plans, like, you know, there, there are bigger issues out there.
1: Yeah. uh, Um, and the other, um, thing I was going to say, um, you know, one cent i remember when i sold amazon in 2001 and i got charged 20 percent of the shares you know so that like it's it's crazy to me but that's just that's just my take um okay now we'll go to public so public ai what what do you guys on the ai front and i there's something with your alpha tool but can you walk us through what you guys are looking at for ai
0: yeah, so I think I said earlier, right? I think we've taken uh a, we've we've made a lot of strides in, in building all the best possible content that we can into the app. Content meaning everything from like market data, pricing data, fundamental data, research, analysis, news, right? We want to pull as much of that information into the app as possible. And then what we've done is we've built, we've used sort of GPT4 and the uh, available, you know, sort of the available LLMs, large language models, AIs. Um to sit as sort of a new UI UX on top of all of that information, right? So instead of having to go and scroll through the app, go to the Apple page and look through the news and so on, we've now used the GPT-4 to build Alpha, which is a chat-based interface for finding that same information, right? So you can go and uh, chat with Alpha and say, hey, what's the latest quote for Apple? What was the price of Apple on X date? Hey, how did Apple compare to Tesla over the last 90 days? And it actually does quite a good job of um answering a bunch of those questions that you know some of them you could probably easily answer yourself going to sort of the apple page and finding the right data but many of them as you start to get into multiple tasks or multiple data points it does a much better job of summarizing and synthesizing that so like great example earnings calls right so apple had the earnings call last week um i didn't have time to go and listen to it so i asked alpha Hey, can you give me the summary of the earnings call? It gave me some interesting stuff. I asked how that compared to the past earnings calls and it gave me, you know, some really good information about exactly what was going on with, with Apple.
1: So alpha is then searching earnings calls, data, all that kind of stuff.
0: Yep. It's got full access to basically everything that you can have that that we have available to to our users in the public app. Um, we've given it to alpha and alpha sits on top and just, again, is able to summarize, synthesize and, uh, and help answer those questions. Did you guys create alpha from from scratch? So we did, we created it fully from scratch, our own in-house team. Um, Now the API stack uh, is, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty focused on sort of uh, some open AI tools to include GPT-4, but yeah, everything other than sort of the GPT-4 models us. How long did it take take you guys to create alpha? You know, I think we had the first version up and running in, I want to say three or four weeks. And then, you know, it's really been a process of refinement since then. So, you know, I think we, started really having a functioning version in you know April. I think we announced it in May. So it's been continuing to evolve. I think one of the things with it is like, you know, no no LLM, no sort of uh, chat based AI um, is perfect. And uh, they, you know, you have to, there's a massaging process to figure out how to make sure when you ask it a question, it gives you back the most relevant answer. And a lot of that involves making sure that it has access to the right data. But there's also a big part of it, which is, giving it all of sort of the added context, uh, about the world that it may not have available in its data set. Right. So like an interesting example is like, uh, GPT four, if you just ask it, um, directly via API, like what today's date is, it doesn't really know because it's only been trained back to like the end of 2021. And so one of the things you have to work on giving it is all of this, like what we call temporal information about like, Hey, today is X. This is, this, these are the, when we say this week, this is what we mean by this week. Yesterday was why, right? This is we are in Q whatever, right? We are in 2023, uh, next year is 2024. We have to give it quite a lot of information about date and time. So when a user says, hey, how did Apple do last quarter? It knows that the customer's talking about Q2, 23, not Q2, 2021, right? And it if it doesn't know that at the front it can't go and find the right information in the data set so there's a lot of that sort of massaging and iteration that we've got to do to really to really make it really uh, to make it effective and you know that's just an ongoing iteration process got it okay and so and
1: is it something people are actively using now
0: yeah yeah we have quite quite a lot of quite a lot of people trying it out every day um and we've really seen a stabilization sort of the active user base of it um and i think it's again it's awesome and It's just another way to sort of consume all the great content that public makes available. And we're absolutely seeing sort of the user base for Alpha Grow. That's awesome.
1: And um, what was it? Okay, so the next question I have is what's um, something you wish every person knew about investing?
0: What is something I wish every person knew about investing? It's a pretty broad
1: Um, question, but like what I would say is the majority of people still don't invest in the stock market. The, you know they're scared of it they may may invest through a 401k but they're not you know actively invested in the market like you know they should knowing there's returns over years so the question's more geared to how to get people interested in the stock market
0: yeah so i mean i think the two things that i see um for most people um is one they overestimate the people that aren't actively investing i think let's focus on that group I think they overestimate the risk involved in investing in, in the stock market. And I think what the caveats there are, you know, with sufficient time and sufficient diversification, I think the risks are, are, you know, reasonable and you get a healthy you're likely to get a healthy return for the risk you're taking and that risk adjusted return that you get is probably more attractive, um, than anything else you're going to find as an, from an investment category to include fixed income to include real estate and so on. Now, again, what is sufficient time and what does sufficient diversification mean? I think those are, those are sort of in the eye of the beholder. I, I tend to be sort of a, uh, you know, intellectually, a very, a very sort of modern, modern portfolio theory, uh, passive investor type. Well, while also on a daily basis. know doing things in my own portfolio that don't conform to those to those principles but i think again focus on a really well diversified uh you know market-weighted market-weighted index of equities holding them for 10 plus years you're very 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 likely to have a a a strong risk you know risk-adjusted return Uh, and i think most people assume that like if you make that sort of investment and you buy a you know you buy a equity index fund um, I think most people assume that's much riskier than it actually is. And I think they assume that all of their capital is at risk when we know historically max drawdowns are actually quite modest when you look at such a well-diversified portfolio.
1: Yeah. I mean, over time, you can look at any time in the market over a 30 year time, the S and P is averaged a uh, 10%. Now, having said that, I have a lot of money in T bills and municipals. Um, and I don't have most of the money in the market because I know I don't want the short-term fall off and I'm not ready for my 10 year, plan. But the right thing to do would be in the market and just leave it at that. But I diversified and I have, you know, small amount in the market, but then T bills, municipals and real estate, I guess.
0: Yeah, and I think the hardest I think the hardest thing I see, you know, people that I, I talk talk to about this every day, the hardest thing they, they struggle with is figuring out when they might need the money. Right. Um, and I think they actually tend to underestimate how much money they might need in the next two to three years. Um, and then I think they also underestimate how much of their money really is 30 to 50 year money that they may never need, right? Um, and I think that there's sort of this barbell problem where people are probably under you to know, short-term savings vehicles, right? And, and, and really, you, know, you wanna optimize those on risk and rate of return. So things like treasuries that we offer on public T-bills, really high quality. But then I think they also assume that all of their money you know, needs to be, you know, they tend to actually be too conservative with the money that they actually may never need, right? Um, I think as you start to look at money that, hey, maybe this is sort of generational, even for somebody that's relatively young, this might end up being generational assets based on my own, you know, specific personal interests. Like, actually, I should take more risk on that than I am right now.
1: That's where I'm at. What I'm saying to you is I have some money in T-bills and municipals, and we're going to get into your T-bills and alternative investments in a minute. But I have some money in T-bills, municipals that is money I'll never need, arguably. And it's not in the market when it should be i i, I understand that it should be
0: it's yeah you can, i mean put it in put it in the equities and again take a you know put a little leverage on that right if it truly is if it truly is money you think you'll never need right like again then i think that's you know that's i think a tough um it's tough to it's tough to be allocated to anything but equities um and again you can think about some of the more minor equities you know asset classes like vc and private equity at that point right but i think we're talking about truly generation, you know, intergenerational assets that, you know, have a time horizon of more than 30 years. You know, one, the equity markets are great, but two, you can, you know, you can sort of plan that out over a longer period of time. And, and you know, I try to tell people all the time to take, put a little leverage on it. Nobody ever does. But, but, what, but uh, that's that's.
1: But that's what I was going to ask you. What do you mean put leverage on it? So let's just say I'm making up numbers, okay? Let's say there was $10 million that I had that I, I don't need for 50 years, okay? What do you mean by put leverage on it?
0: So I think, you know, and that, I know
1: leverage is I know leverage is debt. Yeah, I, just I, don't think, know what I think
0: I think buying a broad a broad based index of global or, or US equities um, and buying 110% of that with your 100% of money. And again, taking sort of secured borrowing costs against the sort of like you said, whatever your appreciation assumption is, if you can borrow at 7% right now, whatever that is, and you think your long term returns are going to be closer to 10%, right, by putting a little bit of leverage on there um, you're going to, you're going to ultimately see better long-term, better long-term investment returns. And these are, again these are strategies and products that exist for the high net worth, ultra high net worth. Their bankers will set them up in the form of, you know, structured notes and so on. Uh, but those aren't sort of retail accessible products for the most part. Um, kind of hard to do that in a margin account, but, and the thing you have to worry about, and again, why I said, Hey, 10%, 20%, et cetera, is you got to be conscious of not blowing up your account, right? You don't want to get out. To a point where your max drawdown is going to put you put you into a margin call or a capital call um
1: well well that's where i am going. With. so let's go with that logic of the 10 percent of your money into that whatever and put leverage on that the other 90 percent of your money is earning five percent so now you're putting leverage on the 10 percent you're taking a, at a seven percent rate so your money's costing you more than what you're yielding in your like t-bills
0: yeah but i would i'm saying i'm saying for that tranche of money i wouldn't put uh, you know i wouldn't i wouldn't be holding any any allocation in t-bills for thirty-year
1: money, yeah. So that front tr- tr- of tr- 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 money, and then your point is, the market could draw down ten percent, but over thirty years, you're going to be ahead. Yes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that makes Again, a lot of sense.
0: A bunch of a bunch of variables. Hey, what's your, borrowing, what's your secured borrowing cost going to be? Um, I think it's a big one, right? How much? How much? What do you really believe about the long-term sort of, you know, um, average return in sort of the global or U.S. equity markets? How diversified do you feel you are? I mean again there are a lot of lot of considerations here but i think as you think about really long-term money uh i think you know the evidence evidence would say uh historically at least leverage would be a help
1: yeah i mean i the one i i buy i'm buying the vu but you know i definitely am not in the market like i should be um in terms i buy some individual equities and have fun with that but i um indexes and yeah, the, the, you're right. In 30, and I don't get why over 15 years, over 30 years, the market always goes up. Is it just because more money is printed and that's what happens? I mean, if you look at any 30 year period, the market goes up, like it's, it's for, forever, you know? Um, but is that because one of my concerns is, and this will lead us to the alternative investments. The average person hasn't had that ability to invest in alternative investments, but through public and other vehicles. Now the average person does, um, there's yield street uh, several others you can invest in other assets so then if the public can invest in other assets then maybe the real the stock market's not the only game in town so therefore maybe it's not maybe the stock market doesn't follow the 30 year return like it has every you know part of this decade or you know century what do you
0: say to that one i mean i think predicting predicting future market returns is tough right but i think the what we've seen over the historically you said hey why does the stock market keep going up and the truth is like i think it it's actually kind of, um, over the long run, it's kind of rational. Again, I think corporate earnings are, you know, and, and gen, like genuinely corporate earnings are driving sort of the long-term returns, which is what you want to see if you believe that this is real and not a money printing thing. Now, again, if you want to say, Hey, part of the reason corporate earnings are up is because of money printing. Sure. Fine. But I think like in terms of equity valuation, I think, um, within a reasonable range and we are in that range right now, I think we've seen sort of a rational increase in the value of the stock of american companies right and that's what you got to believe in is owning a large chunk or even a small chunk of really great companies those you have to believe those companies are going to become more valuable over time based on what they can earn and the cash flow that they can generate right And i think full stop it's a real thing and it, you know again assuming you believe in the american economy and and so on i think we will continue to see some of those trends going forward that being said there are plenty of other Asset classes where there's meaningful diversification to be had and, and uncorrelated returns. So in times when the equity markets, again, might be going, the economy might be going through a recession, therefore equity markets may be down. We might see an earnings recession where earnings start to shrink quarter over quarter. In those times, there are plenty of other asset classes that have sort of, um, you know, at least an uncorrelated, if not an inversely correlated um, reaction to those same sort of macro trends.
1: Yeah, part of me is like the fed just keep raising interest rates don't fight the fed so now there's alternatives to invest in the stock market so go invest in bonds and that's and don't put all your money in the stock market that's part of my logic there when the fed stops raising rates then go back in the markets um but to your point 20 30 years you're pretty right right on okay so now now we're gonna go for
0: for short term right we're really into fixed income these days right we launched our treasuries product like i told you about right
1: but I think that's um, potentially going to improve soon too. Um, I, the last person I had on the show was Bill Capuzzi, CEO of Apex. I think that's one of your um, backends. What do you
0: say? He's a good friend of mine. I love Bill.
1: Okay, okay. Tell him, send him a text that you're just on with me. And I, I think you guys have some new stuff coming out in terms of I don't know if I'm even supposed to say. So maybe I will leave it out. But I think there's some with alternatives or some new stuff that you guys have coming out. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, I mean, so I think there are a couple of things. One, I think we're really focused on fixed income, right? I think we've launched the Treasury's product, which basically is the easiest way for investors to get access to to a basically a six month average duration T bills portfolio, right? That we're gonna roll on and on, you know, that's gonna be rolled at every six months, held held to maturity. So you're gonna, hey, if you see the six month T bill is trading at five and a half percent right now you're gonna hold it six months, you're gonna get your five and a half percent, it's gonna roll at that point, right? Literally the simplest possible construction of a T-bill.
1: Wait, wait, what do, what do you mean it's gonna roll?
0: So if you hold, okay, so it's gonna reinvest in whatever the prevailing six month T-bill is at the six month maturity. But the appealing part of that is, hey, I if I know I've got, you know, sort of savings or savings type assets that I think are short duration, I might need them in the next six months, 12 months, two years, three years, right? I mostly wanna be focused on sort of maximizing risk-free yield. Now And I think we know treasuries for a variety of reasons are going to be the best, the best that you can the best that you can get there better than savings account, better than money, market funds, et cetera. They've got tax advantages, um, right? You don't pay, you don't pay local or state income tax on, on your income from, from treasuries. So if you're in a high tax state, incredibly beneficial tax, tax treatment, and, but you're going to, and you're going to get sort of the five and a half percent headline yield, Right. Um, and you're going to get it right. It's you're investing in an asset that's going to be held to maturity. It's not going to fluctuate on a daily basis because there's some portfolio manager in the background, managing duration, moving stuff around, trading in and out, et cetera. You're buying a, you're buying a T bill. You're holding it for six months, right? Simple as possible construction. And it makes a lot of sense. We've seen, honestly, we've seen retail investors go crazy for it. It's been um, probably our best product this, this year. Um, and definitely is driving the majority of flows uh, of any asset class that we've got on public, but that's taught us further. Hey, it's, it's fixed income, right? It's not just treasuries. Um, And so we, again, what I said earlier about retail investors starting to figure out the short duration, hey, if I need money in the next one, two, three, five years, where should I be allocated? You know, that's probably not equity market money because of the risk of drawdown. So, hey, where do we go? Where do we go? You know, we wanna go and look for sort of the maximum, the maximum yield we can get out of a fixed income instrument, right? And again, you can decide where on that risk, risk spectrum you wanna go. Do you wanna go treasury bills, no risk or treasuries? Or do you want to go sort of all the way out to, to high yield? Um, and again, there are questions about credit quality and duration along that full spectrum. But we're really looking, you know, we're really working hard on building access. Again, we did it with treasuries, building access into other categories of fixed income, um, municipal bonds, uh, corporates, um, and sort of out, out the full spectrum. Because I think we've seen a lot of, one, hunger for retail from, from retail investors for yield. Uh, and two, we think it's becoming a more attractive asset class. That's better understood as we see prevailing interest rates rise. And again, we're working closely with apex apex on that, um, apex also working on a variety of sort of alternative asset classes as well. Um, but you know, that's, that's probably a little further off for us than, than, than income.
1: Yep. Apex will be at our FinTech deal day. So in New York in November, we have, we're doing a future of digital assets event and a fintech deal day. It was a crypto event, but then we switched to future of digital assets. So November 13th and 14th, one day it's fintechdealday.com and the next day it's the future of digital assets. It's going to be everyone in the trading space to vendors, to banking, to every CEO. Check it out, fintech deal day if you're listening. But yeah, I mean, what I would say with public, when I saw you come out that offering on um, T-Bells, it was very impressive. You really can't, Buy T bills in a, such an easy manner anywhere else. I, when I buy my T bills, I have to do it over the phone at this point. And then they expire. I'm like, okay, how much interest just did I make? How this? It's a little bit confusing. It's not set up to be easy. Or better yet, corporate bonds. Sometimes there's a van uh, corporate bonds. And what would I want to see? Okay, I want to buy corporate bonds, but I want to see what is the smart money doing. It's like you know, you look at the whales who are buying stocks. So I want to know the whales who are buying bonds, so I can you know copy onto those ones. Or what are the municipals doing where you can have a low interest rate if you're, I mean, low taxes if you're in Michigan and, you know, it's tax-free or what have you. Well, how do you figure that stuff out? That is powerful and it's stuff that public's doing. So public, you're not not just for the brand new investor that's learning stuff. You're for, you're getting, in essence, what I would say is when I started Benzing, I started Benzing because I thought it was unfair that Wall Street had an advantage over Main Street in terms of, uh, get information where Main Street Wall Street got ahead of it. And that's why I started on. You're doing a lot of the things where when it comes to execution and being able to trade products that
0: hedge funds only once could do. Yeah, again, we want to just, again, enable retail investors to get the access to the full set of assets that they could possibly construct their long term portfolio out of. Right. And again, I think that's that's it. I think we've got sort of we're working our way through. You know, we've started with equities, you know, including ETFs added uh crypto added some alternatives adding fixed income and you'll see us continue down that that spectrum until we have the full breadth of of sort of all of the asset classes uh, that retail investors in the us could want again we want to make them as easy to to access as possible right mobile first as we talked about earlier and two make sure they have all of the content um and you know information that they need to make informed decisions about each of those about each of those potential investments they can make Uh, a couple more questions so you guys do work
1: well on mobile how about on desktop
0: we do, we do. We were obviously mobile first for the first, uh, three years, uh, of the company's, of the company's life. Um, but about, a, you know, six months to a year ago, we launched our, uh, the web app where people can sort of access their portfolio and, and perform all the same functions, uh, on the web app. Now that being said, the web app is a newer product for us. So still some, still some work to, to be done and we're still, still iterating there daily, but absolutely working on getting to, to complete parity uh, on the web app. And it, it does, it works, it works really nicely. And it's, a form factor we're continuing to invest in
1: okay two more questions tell me about pulse and uh public and working with public companies
0: yeah so pulse is um our sort of issuer services business and so when public companies come to us and say hey we're really interested in retail investors we're not used to communicating with them directly right their investor relations teams you know every public company has an investor relations team whose job, whose job it is to tell the story of why investors should invest in that company. Now they mostly spend their lives focused on institutional investors, right? So big mutual fund complexes, asset managers, hedge funds, uh, endowments, that sort of stuff. But increasingly, they're becoming more and more interested in retail investors because they see the benefits of having a long term oriented retail investor shareholder group. And so they come to public often, and they did they have for many years. And we figured, hey, if we're going to get all of these you know, companies that are really interested in you know, talking to us about how to interact with retail investors, we should build a product out of it. So we built, we built pulse. And what pulse does is it, it again, does exactly that. It helps uh, public companies, public issuers better understand, and interact with retail investors. So we do products like town halls, where we're able to get sort of public company CEOs and and management team leaders um, come in, do a little bit of a Q&A with our, with our uh, membership and really open up sort of that dialogue between public companies and their retail, you know, and retail investors more broadly. And that creates just really awesome, awesome content. And again, that, that's a great example, but there are a variety of other sort of ways that we work together, but it's all, it's all, you know, sort of a mutual benefit between our investors getting access to better information and the public companies, um, learning more about, about how to appeal to retail investors. Got it. Got
1: it. So that's what you're ultimately trying to do. Okay. Now I've, if I, I don't know if we left stuff out on public there's a lot more you can check out the app you can you know go to the website um you could hopefully see them at our fintech deal day is there anything else that you wanted to say about public before we go
0: no no i mean i think we've we've hit a bunch of the high points right i think the big stuff for us that we're working on actively again i think fixed income treasury is really important again hopefully corporate bonds especially now that things like microsoft and johnson and johnson are have a better credit rating than than, than the U.S. government. Uh, you know, I think we want to make sure that retail investors have access to that. So I think those are the sorts of things that we're working on. I think would love for people to come and give Alpha a try and let us know what they think. But um, you know, I think those are those are those are the priorities for us right now.
1: Yeah, it maybe we got to get Alpha on Benzinga and let people see it that way too. Totally. Um, yeah, if there's a way to do that. And then, okay, here's here's the final question: Your first or worst job, or
0: both answers. What was your first or worst job? um let's do first job uh because it's funny i don't think i've had ai don't think i've had a bad job in my life um but my first job was as a waiter uh at cracker barrel oh wow yeah and so i say i often say that that was like the only real job i've ever held in my life because it's hard work it's hard work slinging slinging eggs and breakfast to, to to weary travelers all day how long did you do that for uh i did that for two years during in high school
1: two years in high school. Did you get some good tips or what was it like?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think you, the tips were, the tips were what you would expect tips to be, but I I learned, I learned the one, how challenging a job that is spending a lot of time on, on your feet. And two, uh, you know, I I got pulled back in, into the kitchen every once in a while and had to, had to work the egg line and and learn how to make, learn how to make some mean eggs and bacon. And, you know, uh, that was, that was fun too. So that started a, a little bit of a, hobbyist cooking career uh, that yeah, I was going
1: to, I was going to say, are you, are you cooking for your family now then?
0: I am the, I am the chef in the family. That is for sure.
1: Okay. That's a, let's see, you got see cracker barrel. Yeah. Did you buy the stock when you worked there?
0: I didn't, I didn't, I should have though.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I've come a big on over the
0: last, over the last 20 years.
1: Yeah. They had a good system. You find stuff with good systems and go deep on it. Right. Yeah, I mean, sure. that's yeah. So there, there you go. Okay, Steve, uh, Steven Sykes, uh, Steven Sykes. I appreciate you coming on the Raz Report, our FinTech power. Hopefully, we'll get to see you at FinTech Deal Day in New York in November. Um, you guys check out Public; it's growing. It was a startup, and you know, a few years ago, and it's growing. has a lot of users, does a lot of great things, a lot of great tooling, a great a great team behind it. Um, so, if you haven't seen it, check it out. And if you have any questions, I'm sure that you can get in touch with management; they'll answer. We appreciate you coming on. And when you have new things you want to announce, please come here. This podcast is distributed to like thousands of places and we look forward to having you on again. So thank you for coming on. Yep, thanks for having me.